Well, we're over in Second Kings chapter 6. We've covered chapter 5 on the Sunday morning series. So we're jumping past those and going over here to chapter 6, verse 1. Yeah, we split it up into two. We finished off the last one on Sunday. And the topic fit in on, on Sunday, so we moved it on over to there. Let some of them all get a, get a taste. But it's up there on the Internet if you need to go back up there and, and uh, check it out. Chapter 6, verse 1. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let each every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So we answered, Go. Now here's an interesting part about this. They're in the northern kingdom. This is a kingdom that's, that worships idols under a, a king who does not serve God. And the place where they dwell, which is a place for the prophets, not just for people who follow after God, this is a place for the prophets, is too small for all the prophets coming in to serve <laughs> and to learn. To learn how to be a prophet, I guess, that's they, they do the, whatever it is, their base of operations is becoming too small. So isn't that kind of a fun thing that you're in a place where you probably shouldn't be growing? But they are. And so they have a problem with that, that had to make something bigger. So they said, that's going down to the Jordan. Apparently there's some land over there they could make use of. And they uh, said, can we have permission to go? And he said, go ahead and go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. Now up to the, this point, he wasn't going to go. He's just going to let them all go by themselves. They all, all said, you know, we want to go down there and do it. He says, yeah, go ahead and go down. And he was going to wait there. And one person one person asked Elisha, will you come with us? And Elisha said, yeah. Now, just think about this. If it had been Elijah, first off, they wouldn't have asked. <laughs> Secondly, he wouldn't be in a big group of people anyway. <laughs> and, and third, I pretty much think he would have said, no, y'all go ahead and take care of it yourself. <laughs> this is one of the differences between him and, and Elisha. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the, the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there and he made the iron float. Then he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. So get the idea of what's, what's going on here. They're, they all have axes and they're going down there. These are prophets. And they're taking the axe to the trees and they're cutting them down because if you need wood back in these times, you didn't go to Lowe's. <laughs> you needed wood, you went down to the place where the trees are, you cut the tree down, and then you got to make wood out of that. However, you want to shave it off, cut it, whatever you got to do, you had to do it yourself. So they got to this part where they're cutting down the, the trees and they have the axe, they borrowed an axe. And as he was going, I don't know if you have worked with an axe, but apparently... It wasn't fastened into the, the head real well. Uh, if you've ever seen how these things, how we do them now, I don't know how much different it was from how they did it. But you would, you would slip it on the, the handle from the part where your hands are and the, the head would be wider so that it couldn't quite get through there. And as time went on, if it got to be that it could slip over, you would take these wedges and you would drive them into the end of the handle. That would make the handle bigger and keep it in. Well, apparently this one got a little loose and no one had put that little wedge in there or done anything to it. Or if that's, again, if that's how they did it. Anyway, it went flying. So he's going to, to swing the axe and the axe head, not the handle. The axe head, just the iron part of it, not the wooden handle, 
went flying off of the wooden handle and went into the water, into the Jordan, because they're cutting down the trees which are by the Jordan. So he's upset at this and he says, not only it wasn't mine, I borrowed it from somebody. Well, probably not too many prophets have tools like axes. They probably don't have too much of a need for it. Probably most of them were borrowed. But this particular borrowed one, uh, it apparently had come loose and being a prophet and probably not working with the axe a whole lot, didn't really know the signs that it was getting loose to have prevented this problem. So it goes flying off and you are coming with a full swing to chop that. And if it goes flying off, it doesn't just go a few feet. It goes a ways. So it went a ways into the Jordan. And so he says, well, tell me the area where it went to. So he showed him the area where it went to. And so he took a stick and he throws it in. Why does he take a stick and throw it into the Jordan? Does he have verses on this that said, if an axe head falls into the Jordan River, thou shalt take a stick and throw it in. (laughs) It's nothing like that at all. And he doesn't mention anything. All he says is, he goes and he, he grabs the stick. Where did it fall? Shows him where it fell. Apparently he needed to know where it fell. And so he takes a stick and throws it in. I don't know what good a stick is supposed to do. But that's apparently what God said to him. Because we see that Elisha just does the things that God says to him, but he does not advertise it. We talked about it on Sunday that um, most of the time he just states it. We can't say all the time because when we get further into this story, I think in the next chapter, we're going to find one time when he says, thus says the Lord. He doesn't usually say that, but this particular time he does. We'll find out why he says it then, but that's coming up. So he takes his stick and he throws it in. Now, iron usually sinks when it hits water. Have you ever thought of a time or found a time when iron does not sink? Well, there's lots of times when iron does not sink. Usually it's associated with a boat. We make boats out of iron now. They made boats out of wood. They didn't make boats out of iron. They don't know that iron can float if you make it like a a boat. You take a look at those aircraft carriers and how much weight is involved with them. I still am amazed every time I look at one of those. How does that stay on top of the water? I know all the principles of of boats and the air lock and all that sort of stuff, but still, that is a lot of iron to get it to float on top of the water. To me, it's just absolutely remarkable. But anyway, that's iron that is shaped in a way as to float. An axe is not shaped in a way as to float. It doesn't hold any air. If you put an axe head into the water, it will sink every time. And this particular time, it sank as well. So he throws the stick in. And the stick, all of this is just obeying God, and the axe comes floating up to the top. <laughs> now, if you are one of these people and you see the guy going after the axe, and all he has is a stick, I don't think you have a whole lot of confidence in that, but again, it is Elisha. But it says he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. That's still just uh, amazing to me. But again, Elisha is a type of whose ministry? Jesus' ministry. And in Jesus' ministry, do we not have the story of something that is supposed to sink floating on top of the water? It's called the man who walked on the water. (laughs) Jesus walked on the water. He's not supposed to walk on water. He's supposed to sink in the water. He didn't. He floated on top. And the only other time we have that going on is back here in the Old Testament when... 
he does it with the axe head. Once again, a little forerunner to some of the things that Jesus would do. But here we have the nature of the axe is to sink. The nature of the water is to stay above the axe. And he does something that God says to do, and all of a sudden we see something that doesn't quite happen. How many times do we have things in our life where the nature of it is supposed to act in a certain way? And we just get lost because, well, that's the nature of it. That's how it's going to be. No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, people, they get the medical reports, they get a tumor. Well, the nature of this tumor is that it does these things. Well, do you know that you can speak to that nature and cause that nature to be different and not operate the way that it always does? I mean, how many times had the axe head floated up until now? The doctors may come to you and say, this is 100% fatal. (laughs) It doesn't make any difference. Because God can change the nature of a thing. And even change the nature of metal so that it would float. When it's not supposed to do that. So keep that in mind. That's something that we're supposed to keep keep going on doing. (coughs) Now, I didn't go over all your outlines, blanks there, but... um, we see the school is growing. Most of the attention is going to be on Gehazi, who is the, uh, he, he will draw greater attention because of, of what he did. But the faithful are greater in number. There's more faithful here than there are Gehazi's. I heard uh, um, something was done with, Trump was at some kind of a uh, rally and they had Thousands, I think 10,000, something like that. It was, I don't know what the number was. It was at least 10,000, maybe more people who showed up at one of his rallies cheering and so forth. They had about 10 people who showed up to protest. And he made an interesting statement. I, I didn't hear the rally. I don't know what he said. Don't ask me any of those questions. I don't know. I just know what he said at the end. I got to hear this part. He got there at the end and um, he said, he said, you look at all these people that are here cheering and so forth but the media is going to focus on these 10 people over here who are (laughs) and that's of course what they did they focused on the 10 people that were over here that's what they wanted to do but every time that these folks went in there and tried to boo what was going on the thousands who were there apparently didn't put up with it and they got tired of all these folks coming in here and trying to they drowned them out every time they tried to open their mouth and protest the other people drowned them out isn't that kind of cool whether you like Trump or not, just, I think it's just cool that people want to show up and disrupt something and people just say, we're not taking it anymore and, uh, and, and going that way. The, the election is shaping up to be kind of fun, isn't it? We got to, the, two, the two, I heard this, this, these kind of stats, just to throw it out there, in the Republican field, there's really not really much variance in the Democratic field. They got a couple of people there, um, not much uh, really difference in that. But you got two people in the Republican field who are non-political people. They are garnering the most support. The most money is coming in. More people come to their rallies. And that's, of course, Trump and Ben Carson. None of them have anything to do with the... They're not standard Republican people. They're not backed by the Republican Party. But people love them because they want somebody different who's outside of it. There are four people in the race that are backed by the Republican Party. Those four people in all their fundraising do not equal either of the other two. That's... uh, just an interesting, interesting note. And I saw this too. Both Ben Carson and, and Trump, three quarters of their support comes from people sending in $200 or less. They're not big 
big corporate, they're not big corporations that are coming in here and supporting them. There's a whole lot of people who just are tired of what's going on and are just jumping in and, and sending that in. And I'll tell you what, that's just really cool. I, I've liked some of the things in, in both of their camps. I'm kind of getting more enthusiastic about those two than anybody else in the field <laughs> right now. They just are. And they're, they, they have a lot of differences. There are a lot of similarities and stuff. But anyway, we've we got a whole year of this, don't we? Oh, man, I'll tell you, that's a long time. That is a long time. But um, uh, Ben Carson is just something. Every time he opens his mouth, it's like, oh, man, such wisdom. Such wisdom. I just really enjoy that. But anyway, focus always comes on those that are making the noise, not on the ones that are in there to support. The focus usually comes on the Gehazis, the people that are unfaithful, not on all these people that were faithful, and that the faithful numbers are growing. That's a good thing. You'll see in this, in this too, Gehazi is out as his assistant. He's gone. And someone else comes right on in there and fills in the spot. Now, Elijah didn't know there were people out there who could fill in this spot. Elisha is very aware because he dismisses Gehazi and immediately there is someone else to take his place. <laughs> he has no problem pulling somebody else in and, and doing that. But anyway, the building project, they're all out there doing the work and all of them come on out. It's done by all. They all come on out and help out with this thing. Uh, verse 8, chapter 6. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. Well, he just sent his uh, captain and they came on out to Israel and he was out there to, uh, to get healed of leprosy, got healed of leprosy. But apparently uh, sometime after that, he uh, decided to make war again. What we don't know is, is Naaman in charge of this fight? Just because he's in charge of the army doesn't mean he's in charge of this fight. Doesn't mean he's coming here against Israel after all the good things that they had done. He may be involved in another battle someplace else and someone else may have come because they probably didn't consider Israel to be a big threat. Maybe he was out taking care of a bigger threat at the time. Whatever it might be, we don't know that Naaman was involved. He could have been, but we don't know. He's not specifically mentioned. So we can't really deal with that. The Bible didn't put his name in there. If it did, we would uh, know what to do. So he was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servant saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to uh, basically start a war or, or engage in warfare and he he wants to set up his camp for his army in a place where he's near where the king of Israel is so that he can engage the king of Israel. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are coming down there. So he would tell the king every time, don't go near here because there's a trap there for you. The people are they're trying to uh, engage you in battle. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. <clears throat> so the king of Israel didn't necessarily believe him. He sent somebody on down. Go check that out and see if he's right. And he came on back and says, yeah, he was right. The Syrians were right there. They were ready for you to come on in. And he didn't go. And it didn't just happen once or twice. It happened a number of different times where he would be getting information on this, send it over to the king. Again, this king is not a God-fearing king. So I think I put, uh, yeah, I put it in your outline there. The king of Israel is Jehoram at this point. So the king of Israel sent someone to the place while we did that. Verse 11, therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled. Now this word here for greatly troubled, it does not mean he was super angry. He was not in a rage. He was very disturbed. So don't read that as, and he is really fire mad angry that nothing he's doing here is working. It's not that he is fire mad angry. He is disturbed disturbed 
at what this goes on. Some other uses where this particular word is used is in uh, Hosea 13.3. Therefore they shall be like the morning cloud and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. So wind would come in and take the chaff and that word there, blown off, is the same word used for troubled or disturbed, depending upon your translation. So it's something that would come in, it would just, it would, you know, if the wind comes in and it disturbs stuff, the chaff, it, it's all blown around. That's what it's like. Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3.14, you trust, you, you, yeah, you thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. So it's, again, it's like a whirlwind. It comes on in and just blows around and stirs stuff up. Zechariah, it's translated the same way, whirlwind. In Isaiah 54.11, it's translated tempest. It's something that comes in and stirs things up in a disturbed manner. So when he found this out, it was like a whirlwind that blew in on the inside of him and stirred him up in a disturbed manner. He was, he was greatly troubled, greatly distressed by these particular things. Not angry, but disturbed. So he says, well, we've got to do something about this. We can't just have this kind of stuff go on. So he said, go and see where he is. Well, we didn't finish all that. Um, so he's saying, someone around here in this chamber is telling our secrets. We got a traitor amongst us because we don't discuss these plans except in this room. We didn't have electronic bugs back then, so they weren't even thinking that way. So he says, uh, verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who was in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Now what's interesting to me about this is that this guy knew this and doesn't bring it up to his attention before. I don't know why he didn't bring it up to his attention before. Maybe he did and it's it, it wasn't something the king was ready to receive. It, there's no way that's going on. That doesn't happen. No, whatever it might be, but um, I don't know. But now he, he sees an opportunity and he goes in and brings this thing out. So he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. <clears throat> now, if he had heard this before and wasn't ready to receive it, or if this is the first time he heard it, it's, in, it's interesting to see that he accepts it readily. He doesn't question this. He just immediately accepts it and says, all right, let's go find him. Go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him saying, surely he is in Dothan. So they sent out spies and the spies came on back. They said, where's Elisha? Well, we just got intelligence report. He's over here in Dothan. Now, Elisha, he's, he's like, kind of like Elijah. He, that's where he learned off of. And he moves from place to place. So if you have reconnaissance on him that says he's in a certain place, you have to move on it pretty quickly. You can't just sit around and go. So they send, they get the army ready and they go on out. But they know he moves around. But right now he's at Dothan. So they head on out there to, to try and take care of this and, and to do something with it. Now Dothan is where Joseph was sold into slavery. It's about 12 miles north of Samaria. Verse 14. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. He does not send the entire army but he sends a large force there. It's not the entire army. It is a great army. 
It is, it is great in its force. They're bringing chariots. They're bringing horses. They're bringing all kinds of stuff with them. But again, you've got to get there quickly. So you can't take the whole army someplace quickly, but you can take a smaller number. Uh, and how small it is, I don't know. You know, if it's half the size, if it's a quarter the size, if it's three quarters, I don't know. But it was a good-sized force sent to get one person. And they came at night and they surrounded the city. Now, if you're going to surround a city, you can't do it with three guys. <laughs> you have to have enough people to be able to surround the city. So picture the great army that they're sending here is enough to completely surround the city. They're not surrounding the city trying to put a siege against it. They are surrounding the city to make sure no one can leave. And when the servant of the man of God arose early, notice that apparently it was, this must be his way of doing things. He, just, he didn't get up specifically to find something. He got up because this is his normal routine. He's going through his normal routine. And this particular servant gets up early. When the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. That'll scare you. I don't know why they're here, but they're here. They obviously, it's not good. Whyever they're here, it's, it's not a good thing. Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, Elisha comes out and he greets this whole thing too. We have no indication that Elisha heard about this. We have no indication that Elisha got a word from God that this was going to happen. We have no indication that Elisha even saw the forces that are with him. As far as we can tell from what the Word of God tells us is he got up, he comes in and out, gets this news from the servant who says, who brings a bad report and says, we are basically, we're all going to die. And Elisha's not moved by it at all. This is how we should be when bad reports come. He's not moved by all. His first words to, to the servant is, do not fear. Well, he's already in fear. <laughs> so he basically says, you know, quit that. <laughs> Stop being afraid. So he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Now immediately he begins to look around. Right? I don't see nobody. I see you. I see me. You know, there's a few other people that are up right now. But we don't have horses. We don't got chariots. We're not looking at any kind of a great army in the city. All the army is over there in Samaria. I don't know what you're talking about. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. He does not say, open my eyes. As far as we know, Elisha never sees them. If he does, he doesn't make note of it. He just says, open his eyes so he can see. But he prays this out loud. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now, most of us, if we got a report like this, our first prayer to the Lord is not this. Right? We're, we're praying something different. Dear Lord, <laughs> I have been faithful to the Lord. <laughs> I've been very zealous for the Lord. Right? We're going to go along those lines. Because I remember the stories of Elijah. Here's what he told. <laughs> I'm going to go along those, those kind of lines. But he doesn't do that. He says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. I don't know if I'm the well, ship, you know, open our, our eyes. Let me see yeah. it too, okay? Yeah. He doesn't care. He's just, Lord, I pray, open his eyes mm. that he may see. Mm. Amen. I don't need this fear. He, I think it's like this. I don't need this fear around me, Lord. If I got to work with this guy, let him see. Mm. 
Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots, not just chariots, chariots of fire all around Elisha. So that must mean they're in the city as well as outside. That They are all around. Wherever he could see, here they are. We got chariots of fire. We got horses. Now, it's not in here, but if you have horses and chariots of fire, who's on the chariots? And if you can't see them in the natural, then they must be angelic or something that can take on a different dimension. And, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that teaches that our dimension is the only dimension. We have a lot of people, you know, scientists are going out there and checking out all these different dimensions and some of them say, well, there's a dimension right alongside with ours. We just can't see them or in different frequencies or things like that. And they come up with all this sort of stuff. But apparently it is true that there are other dimensions that are going on because the angels operate in a dimension that most of the time we don't even see them. But they can interact with our dimension. But we can't necessarily interact with their dimension unless it is granted to us to do so. And this is what happened here. He was granted. And all of a sudden now he can see they were there before. But now he can see them. Now, they were there, even though they can't be seen by us in our dimension, they can interact with our dimension. Otherwise, why are they there? And why does Elisha come? <laughs> right? Elisha's come because he knows, all right, they're there, and they can interact with this dimension. They can come on out here and do this. And, uh, and they did. How many times in the Old Testament do angels show up and they start slaying people and things are, people are dying but apparently they don't see anybody so you get in some of those other dimensions you can find out why angels can move about the way that they can because they they uh they move pretty fast they get from one place to another when daniel prayed and that angel was sent he was from heaven to the earth's atmosphere instantly and it took him three weeks to get from there to over to here it didn't take him that long to travel from heaven to earth. It took him that long to get through the fight. So anyway, when you hear all that stuff about dimensions, our understanding of dimensions is completely out of whack. We haven't a clue. <laughs> but there is stuff going on there. Because here you have all these angels operating in this other area where we can't see them, but they can see us, and they can interact with us, and they can interact with our enemy. He prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. So it's there, but apparently you can't see it. So he says, open his eyes, let his eyes see into that dimension where all of our angelic host is and all their chariots of fire are. You know, they have chariots of iron on the other side. We have chariots of fire. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. Because <laughs> all, they, all they knew when they looked at it, it just looked like fire. They, they couldn't describe it. It's Hmm. So, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So he prays, and immediately this man's able to see. There's no waiting around. It just, it just goes on. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. <clears throat> Elisha does not mess with any does not put any time into worrying about this problem. <laughs> he does not put any time into figure out how can we take care of this. He does not put any time into interceding for the city or on his own behalf. 
There is no time wasted at all. He doesn't utter a prayer. He doesn't stand in the gap. He doesn't do a thing. All he states is, first off, let him see. And then secondly, strike him with blindness. And that's it. Very specific. He does not waste a whole lot of time. We told you this over and over again. Prayers need, prayers for things need to be short. Fellowship prayers, that can be as long as you want to. Worship prayers, that can be as long as you want to. But prayers for things, they need to be short. He does not try and talk God into doing this. He just simply states, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And what's it say the Lord did? Struck him with blindness. How? According to the word of Elijah. Now, Elisha speaks this. He's not in fear. He has boldness and fear going on, or um, faith going on, but no fear. He just states it. And once he states it, he goes down to them. Who'd they come here for? Him. He apparently knows this. Because he goes on down there. He says, strike them with blindness. Basically, don't let them know that I'm him. Because they're not blind in that they can't see, but they're blind in that they can only see what Elisha wanted them to see. Now, Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. So they came looking for Elisha. He goes on down to him and says, Hold on, guys. You're in the wrong place. This is not the city, and this is not the man that you seek. Now, think about this. Who'd they come to get? What city did they come to go to? Dothan. Are they in the right city? Do they have the right man? No, they don't. No, they don't. They do not have the right man, nor do they have the right city. Because go back to the beginning of the story. Who, are they, who do they want? The king of Israel. Elisha is standing in the way, so they decide to come after him. But who they want is the king of Israel. So he goes right to who they want, who is the king of Israel, and not to him, who is their hindrance. He says, I will take you to the man that you seek. And he didn't lie one bit. He told them exactly what the truth was. And he led them on down to the man they were, they were seeking, which is the king of Israel. This is not the way, nor is this the city, because the king of Israel does not live in Dothan. Elisha is at Dothan. I don't know if he lives there. He's just there for right now. And again, they know that he moves about. So when he says, well, he's not here, they could be just be thinking, well, he moved on. But we got somebody, and he's ready to take us. I guess he's fearful of his life, thinking we'll kill him. So he's ready to take us to the next spot. So we'll go ahead and we'll follow him. But look at this, Elisha's prayer. He doesn't just sit around idly by. Some people like to pray and just sit around idly by. Oh, Father, heal me of this thing. And they sit around. Don't do nothing. Oh, God, take care of this thing. And they sit around, waiting for God to take care of it. He doesn't do this. He makes the prayer and immediately acts like the prayer has been successful. Just goes right on out. He doesn't just sit around. He prays a short, specific prayer. Now, God performed according to the word of Elisha. God did exactly what Elisha said. So, he has from God what's going on. 
God may have already spoken to him some wisdom. And so he prayed. Because if God said, look, you need to take him over to Israel. Take him over to Samaria. Take him to the king of Israel. How am I going to get him there? Maybe he says, I don't know. God may have just told him the whole thing. They, you need to get him over there. Uh, I can strike them with blind. He, he may have told him the plan, but he still had to pray it. And he still prays it. Just like Elijah. had to, He knew the plan about the drought, but he still had to pray it. So he prays this thing. And he acts like the prayer is answered. Now he hears the word of, of God and he acts on it immediately. As soon as God speaks something to him, he does it. There is no delay. If, he's, if God says, throw a stick in the water... He throws it in the water. He doesn't, he doesn't delay. If God says, put some flour in the stew, he puts flour in the stew and he's ready to eat it. Whatever God says, he does it immediately and that's all there is to it. Now think about us. What are some of the things we do? Sometimes Christians do this. Well, I'm going to try and pray that through. I'm going to try it out. We're gonna, we're, <laughs> I'm going to pray this thing through. I'm going to... Try it out. Just make sure that it's right. I'm going to pray it out. Because you know, I got this word from God. I'm not sure if it's God yet though. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray and intercede. I'll pray in the Spirit for a while. That's what I'll do. I'll pray in the Spirit for an hour and just see, you know, is this really God? And then check it out. Or we do this. We confirm it with others. Right? I got this word from God. What do you think about this word I got from God? Do you think that God would tell me to put flour in a poison stew? Oh, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I kind of thought that too. Let me go over here and find it. What do you think about putting flour in poison stew? Would you, would you eat the stew after I put flour? No, I wouldn't eat that. Oh, all right. I'm kind of thinking the same thing. But sometimes we try and confirm what we get from God with other people and find out. You know, God says, don't stop doing this, do this, go this direction. Well, all right, that might work. I, I kind of feel like God is, is saying that. When Jesus comes to the paralytic man and says, rise, take up your bed and walk, does he turn to the guy next to him and says, what do you think about that? <laughs> you feel good about that in your spirit? Do you feel like God's telling, is speaking through this? Guy? He doesn't do it, does he? He immediately acts upon it and, and he does it. But sometimes we're trying to you know, pray it through. We're trying to confirm it with other people. Or here's one. I'm going to meditate on that for a while. I got this word from God, so I'm just going to meditate on this for a while and see, you know, is this really God telling me this thing? If it is, well, all right, you know, we'll, we'll do something with it, but I'm just not sure. God, I appreciate you sharing that with me, and I'm just going to meditate on that while just confirming in my spirit that that's you. And these all sound like they're good, but that's not Elisha, nor is it Jesus. Because when Jesus got a word, spit on the ground, make clay, and put it on his eyes, what's he do? Spits on the ground, makes clay, puts it on his eyes. Tell him, go wash. And he went and washed. See, sometimes we're missing God because when he speaks to us, we don't act on it. We, we try and think it through. We try and go through all the different stuff that's, that's there. And Well, that's not what we ought to do. Well, verse 20. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of the men that they may see. So they were blind. They, weren't see, they were seeing something in a completely different dimension than what they were actually in. And, and God let them see that. And then once they got there, he says to the Lord, all right, now I, ask, I pray for them to be blind. Now I pray for their eyes to be open. Their eyes were blind when he prayed that. Their eyes were open, but not until Elisha prays it. Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. 
And there they were inside Samaria. They walked into the city of Samaria and did not know they walked into the city of Samaria. Can you imagine that? Walked into this city and didn't know. Well, they didn't know what the city of Samaria, you might be thinking. Well, then how did they know they were in Samaria when their eyes were open? It says their, their eyes were open and they saw and there they were inside Samaria. So all of them, their eyes are open at one time. They look around. Oh, do you know where we are? <laughs> wow, we are in Samaria. Now, when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elijah, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? <laughs> He's anxious. Now, I'll wipe them all out right now. This would be great. These guys have been a, a thorn to us. They keep coming out here. They're trying to get me. Now I got them. That's just, shall I kill them? Shall I? Elisha brought them to him. So he's asking him permission. But he answered, You should not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go there to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. It's because the next time they're going to come with a big army. <laughs> it doesn't mean they're not coming anymore. It just means no more bands came in. Apparently, this band went on back and they went, they said, man, do not go back in there. <laughs> we ended up in the city of Samaria. I mean, Elisha is nobody to mess with. You got to be wondering about this. If the king of Syria is thinking, well, this, this guy is speaking the very plans in, that we make in this room. So let's make another plan in this room against him. So Elisha has known every plan he's made against the king of, of Syria or king of Israel. And so he thinks, let's make another plan. But this one, we're going to come after Elisha. He won't know it. <laughs> well, apparently Elisha must have known that one too. Because God told him all the other ones. So God probably told him this one. He doesn't make mention of it. He still doesn't say it. But he gets on down there. Ah, can you as the king of, of Syria... I know, I know you're ignorant. I know you're, you're, you're stupid and all that sort of stuff. I mean, unsaved people, folks, they just make some things. I saw something on someplace, you know, talking about that. Uh, who's that guy? Hawking. Uh, supposed to be the smartest man in the world. And you know, he's a great big disability he's got. He can't even talk with outside of the computer and, and oh, stuff like no. that. Oh, 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 um, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, Stephen Hawking. I, I've heard some of the things he said. He's the most ignorant person I've ever heard speak. Yeah, he's a scientist. But if you are a scientist, you would have to understand that there's order behind the science. And to deny the order behind the science is just stupid. And the things that he utters out of his mouth, God must be sent up and says, man, you poor fool. He's just <laughs> but that's the same thing with this king. This king is making statements and God's got to say, really? <laughs> you're going you're to take the same group of people that everything you have planned has failed. You're going to plan it in the same room and, but this one's going to be successful? Really? That's how stupid your enemies are. That's how, let's understand that. That's how stupid your enemies are. The people who make plans against you are just that stupid. Mm. We're going to be in the same room and make the same plans against you, even though God has stopped all these other ones, and this one's going to be successful. <laughs> and it wasn't. So they all had to come back and says, Do not do anything against Israel. If you do, oh man, it's just, it's not going to be good. You don't know what's going on down there. It's, uh, 
<laughs> Stay out of it. So they fed them and sent them on home. A goodwill jester, you would think that they would say, you know what, let's just, we can conquer the rest of the world. Let's leave Israel be. Just leave them be. That God is just too tough for us. But they don't do that. They're going to come back down again later on. I put this in your outline for you. Just because God's protection is there doesn't mean we, should, we are free to sit around. Just because you have God's protection around don't mean you can just sit there and quote the 91st Psalm. You can quote the 91st Psalm, but then you need to get out there and do what God has said to do. And that's what Elisha does. He gets going on the thing. He acts like he is protected. He doesn't cower in a corner and wait. God, make them all go away. Take your army and just go down there and wipe them all out. He doesn't pray that. Maybe, how many of you all, if you are in Elisha's, that's what you're saying. God, get them. <laughs> now. Wipe them all out. <laughs> he doesn't do that. <laughs> yep. See, we grow our faith by immediately acting on the voice of the Spirit. That's how we grow our faith. We don't grow our faith by going away and meditating on it. We don't grow our faith by um, checking it out with other people. We don't grow our faith by, well, I'm just going to pray this through and make sure that it's God. That's not how you grow your faith. The way you grow your faith is to obey what God speaks to you. Brother Hagin used to give it to us this way. Instantly obey the voice of your spirit. But when the spirit of God speaks to you, he speaks to your spirit. When he speaks to you, you need to learn to obey instantly. You know, watching my daughter go through with our, our little one, two years old. You know, they start to get their little independent thing going on. And like to do their own own stuff. So she's of course doing doing some of these things and checking out some areas where she can go. But some of those areas are dangerous. Mm-hmm. And what she has to learn is obey instantly. Mm-hmm. And so you, I watch them go in there and, and interact with her. And as soon as they uh, uh, speak a command, stop. They expect her to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, her her phrase for her is freeze your feet. Sometimes you see, freeze your feet, she just keeps on going. <laughs> that's, not, that's not learning what she needs to learn there. We're, 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 there's danger that can happen. And we're trying to communicate that to, to them. Well, God tries to communicate that to us. There's danger that's happening there. You need to, to do what I have put on you to do. But sometimes we don't. We disobey what the Spirit of God says, and we get into circumstances, we get into problems. And that's not good. You need to do what God is telling you to do. And when it comes up in your spirit, don't do your own thing. Well, I want to do this. Well, then fine. You're going to do that. Then you're going to, you're going to bear the consequences of it. But if God is saying, quit that, start this, do this, you need to do it. You need to just go after the, the thing. Whatever God has said, we need to learn to instantly obey. To the point that if he tells us to spit on the ground, make mud, spread it on some guy's eyes, that we would do it. How many of you are ready that if God says, right now, spit on the ground, make my... How many of you are going to... Well, God, I need to, I need to think that one through a little bit here. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm seeing lawsuit. I'm seeing... <laughs> we got some, some things going on. Not everybody gets to this level of obedience in their life. But the ones that do are greatly used by God. And that's where we need to go. We have the other end of the spectrum, which is Israel in the wilderness... And when God said to do something, they did the opposite. (laughs) Whatever God said, they did the opposite. Thou shalt have no gods before me. Oh, except for these two. We're going to make these two, and these are going to be the the only ones we're going to make. (laughs) 
trust in me? Okay, until we're out of water, yeah. and then we're not going to trust in you anymore. We're going to disbelieve you and think and accuse you of bringing us out here to die. And then after God takes care of that, then the, the next time they face something, all right, we're, we're good until they get there. Oh, you brought us out here to die. Don't, don't be that way. We've got to get from that spot all the stages in between and get to that place where when God says, put flour in a stew and eat it, that we go ahead and, and put flour in a stew and eat poison stew. Whew, that'd take a little bit of faith for that, wouldn't it? Yeah. How about when, how about when Moses is up there on the mountain with the burning bush and God says, see that, that serpent? Pick it up by the tail. See, now we talked about this before, but if you're going to pick up a serpent, you don't pick it up by the tail. You pick it up by the... You've got to get the business end. You've got to get a hold of that part of it. Yeah, that's how we, that's how we do that thing. But whatever God says, we've got to know that if God told us to do it, He's our Father. He cares about us. We've got to get that trust in there. Amen. Whatever we are doing in our day-to-day life has to be to that place where when He speaks... We do it. And you'll see a lot of people who, who had this going on with, with people. Joshua, when Moses spoke, what did Joshua do? He did it. Great example on that mountain. When Moses was coming down, he stayed because Moses said, stay here until I return. Peter, James, and John, stay here and pray with me. They stayed, but they fell asleep. They're not quite doing that. We have to get to that place that when he speaks, we obey immediately. That's how confident we are in the, in the voice that comes to our spirit. When we get to that spot, it's not that we're more saved. We're just more available to be used. And a lot of times we're praying to God, God, use me. Oh, God, shape me. Oh, God, do some things for me. Help me to, to be able to be in a better place to be used by you. This is where it is. The people that were greatly used by God are the people that when God spoke to them, they did it immediately. And if we hesitate, we're not ready yet. Not for the greater assignments. We can do some of the ones that we're doing. But you want to do the greater assignments? God speaks, do it. Don't reason it out. Don't argue it out. Don't pray it out. Just do it. Father, I thank you for the examples that you give us in the Word. Oh, they are some phenomenal people who got to the place in their life that if you spoke something to them, they did it. And we want to get to that place in our life. No matter how crazy it seems, no matter how outlandish it might be, if you tell us to dig ditches in the middle of a valley, we will dig the ditches. We will do whatever it is that you tell us to do because you spoke it to us. We don't have all the understanding, but we don't need all the understanding. We need to be able to just operate whether we see or whether we understand. Thank you, Father, that you are helping us, that you are growing us. In Jesus' name, amen.